Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This episode is brought to you by Accenture Interactive. Greater experiences start with reimagined consumer experiences. Visit AccentureInteractive.com to see how we're combining creativity, strategy, and technology to make businesses healthier and consumers happier. That's AccentureInteractive.com. You are listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Ad Week podcast where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative editor with Ad Week. And with me as she is each week is Sammy Main, our social editor and co-host on the podcast. Sammy, how are you? Hello. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Remind me again, is this your last episode or are you, are you around for one more? This is, So next week will be my last week. So however many podcasts you want to record next week, that's how many I'm in for. Yeah, if you missed last week, we mentioned that Sammy is going to be heading off to pursue new creative endeavors, uh, and we wish her the absolute best, uh, but we will, well, yeah, we'll front load like nine more episodes next week cool, just cool, to kind cool, of get yeah. us through the season, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also <laughs> got back Katie Richards, a staff writer on the Brand Marketing Beat. Katie, always love having you on the show. Thank you for having me back. And we've got first-time guest Anne-Marie Alcantara, a staff writer on the digital beat here at Adweek. Anne-Marie, so great to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here for the first time. All right, we've got a lot to talk about, so we are going to uh, we are going to get started. All right, let's talk Prime Day, which is like multiple days now. Amazon's holiday of sorts on the internet yard sale some call it uh it seemed more like a subprime day in ways this year uh, it, with, <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh so Anne marie you cover the e-commerce beat pretty extensively give us an overview of how prime day went this year well prime day this year started off very interesting with a big site out- outage uh people couldn't get on they were upset you know tweeting about it. Everyone was angry. You know, they couldn't get their, like, big tub of whatever they wanted for, like, $2 (laughs) and two-day shipping. Uh, But at least there were very cute dogs on their error pages. So that kind of made up for it. People were very happy about that. And, you know, discovering that Amazon had these 404 pages dedicated to their supposedly company dogs. Um, Why did you say it like that? I love the skepticism. Allegedly dogs. I mean, Amazon has a reputation, you know, for being a little, you know, rough, rough around the edges. Rough. Did you say rough? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, no, so, I mean, yeah, I don't know if the dogs, you know, actually come to work every day. 
Yeah, they're not known as like the most employee-friendly place, which I assume this was kind of trying to head off a little bit. It, it's no, like it seems they have that whole video. Well, it's uh, I've been trying to write the story about Amazon dogs since oh, literally really? last October. Oh like these error pages have been around before this mm. Prime Day mess. Mm-hmm. That that would be very calculating if they were like, you know, our servers are probably going to crap out. Let's just crank out some cute dogs. <laughs> so I guess I don't know if they do like come into the offices, quote unquote, of Amazon that frequently. But I think they do belong to the employees. <laughs> I believe these dogs. Yeah, whatever. they have a dog park there. Christina Monlos was there, um, I think like last week and she was there for a meeting and she said there was like a nice little dog park outside Aww. with dogs in it. I believe it. They, they, like their dogs. I don't I, know. I, I, I'm in the middle. Like, I believe that they are real dogs. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not full InfoWars on the dogs. But, uh-huh. like, uh, I also think that this is somewhat calculated uh, in, in general of, like, they know that they have a big public image problem for how they have reportedly been treating uh, warehouse employees for years. Uh, and so I, I think it is kind of a way of putting cute Amazon dogs on the error pages helps somewhat offset and also also offsets the frustration when something you want to buy, whether it's on Prime Day or not, is not available, you know, when the site's not working. But the outages aside, first, I'm curious, did you guys pick up anything on Prime Day or in the Prime Day days? I did. Yeah. I got yeah. a new pair of headphones that I'm very excited about. They're noise canceling, so they're perfect Ooh. for this office because <laughs> yes. this office gets very loud. <laughs> um, and they were $125 down from $300. Oh, nice. Very happy That's about legit. it. Mm-hmm. And they came the next day. What, what is the opposite of like buyer's remorse? I have not buyer's remorse. Like I, I hovered over. So I missed the Prime Day deal on a new KitchenAid mixer because my KitchenAid died. And for anyone who doesn't follow me on Instagram, I let me tell you, I cook a lot. And so um, I really need a new KitchenAid. And I wanted to bump up to like the bigger one, the one that it, that all the reviews say, like, no one really needs this unless you're weirdly intense about cooking. <laughs> and um, so I was going to get it. They had to like two, like down to from $700 to 200 and something dollars. Oh, but they, wow. it, it, like by the time I even heard about it, it was gone. Mm. Um, but as we'll talk about in a second, like their competitors kind of jumped on this, right? And so, like anytime you Googled something, you, Macy's had a, a Black Friday deal, which is weird in general because it's July, but it was also on like a Wednesday. But anyway, <laughs> they had a big site deal, and so they were like, "Oh, we'll give it to you for three hundred and fifty or something." It was like half off. And I said, like, ah, eh, whatever. It's probably that much any other day. I was wrong. It is now back up to like seven hundred and fifty bucks. <laughs> so I missed oh. my window. Uh, I did not get any. Anybody else pick up anything? No, there wasn't really anything I needed, and it felt like ugh, I don't know. <laughs> like, what is the point? Like, thank you for discounting things that are often discounted on your site during a time of like protests across the world of how you're treating people. I don't know. I didn't really need anything. Did I buy like two things from them the week before? Yes. But I feel like I don't know what Prime Day is supposed to be for. Like it feels like it's just a promotion for Amazon products at this point or like that's what they end up pushing at you. I don't know. I didn't get anything to yeah, and so many question. The ones that like jumped out at me is like, yeah, I guess that's an okay deal. It's like $2 off water filters. You know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. just like, that's not exactly exciting. And, the, and so, Anne-Marie, have they – I mean, I'm taking it from the tone of this conversation that Amazon's like challenge, I feel, this year was to get past this idea that this thing is just one big ugly yard sale. Uh, y- y- did they – 
I mean, did it? Did they step up the reputation of Prime Day in any way this year? Yeah, you know, I don't think I saw any. Uh, I think two years ago there was like a big jar of lube that they had on sale that was like the butt of Amazon's Prime Day. <laughs> but the butt of Amazon. <laughs> nothing like that this year, at least not that I saw. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think what Sammy just said is right. It's it's mostly you know one to get people to sign up for Prime Day, and make them feel like they're missing out by not being on Prime. And then two, yeah, I mean, they want to sell as many Echo products in their, in their, you know, store, and they want people to use Alexa and get used to it, and not get on Google Home's life and products. And this year, they also took advantage of you know owning Whole Foods, and they had a lot of promotions in store there, and it was like a big test for them in that in that storefront to see you know, are Prime members willing to shop? in real life instead of just online and, you know, buy their groceries with some great deals. So, so kind of like me almost buying this thing from Macy's during Prime Day, you wrote about how several uh, other competitors, including Walmart, were kind of capitalizing. How did they do that? They used social media to their advantage. You know, they saw people very upset at Amazon for, you know, sure they had cute dogs, but they, they couldn't buy their deals. They couldn't search the deals. People were just getting a looping page. Their stock was down, and so Walmart and ShopRunner, which works with brands directly to give customers like uh, two-day shipping and returns, and they just started offering people like one like a membership. And Walmart was saying, you know, hey, you don't actually need a membership for for shipping with us, and we have our own sales and using emojis and being really cutesy with people on social media to get them to shop there instead. It's unclear like how much it actually worked, but I'm sure people were like, you know, they're ready to shop and probably browsed on Walmart's site and a bunch of other sites that were having sales like Target as well. Yeah, I mean, it's like one of those things like if you're out to go shopping and the thing you want isn't there, isn't where you go, like, are you going to go home or are you maybe just going to go shopping somewhere else? You know what I mean? And so that that's what I thought of is like, I got in the mood to buy one of those KitchenAid mixers. So, hey, might as well look around. So it is kind of to the benefit of everybody. It's one of those rising tide things of if you get people in the mindset of buying online they'll probably keep looking around and, and looking at other places. But, uh, well, I definitely encourage everyone, if you check out Google Prime Day and Adweek, you'll find all sorts of coverage by Anne-Marie and the rest of our tech team. Uh, but I uh, want to cover a few other quick news items. One is a story I'm actually working on as we uh, record this. It'll be going live pretty soon. I talked to the CMO of OkCupid, the dating app. Uh, talked to her yesterday about their DTF uh, campaign. For those who aren't familiar, this is one that uh, takes DTF, which typically has had a uh, very derogatory connotation, especially, uh, you know, when used by men to refer to women, and they wanted to subvert that. Uh, they wanted to take it over and reinterpret it. And so they did a big uh, set of cam- a big set of ads, mostly outdoor and out of home, where they reinterpret DTF in things like down to farmer's market, uh, down to 55-hour binge TV. And it's just all these different things of what people are looking for in a relationship. Uh, the one that bothers me the most visually is the down to floss. Have you guys seen them <laughs> down, down to floss together? It's like, oh, that one every time I see it. just. But the, the art is gorgeous and really kind of uh, attention-grabbing. But uh, So what's interesting is this campaign has it has boosted the social buzz, the social mentions around OkCupid uh, by 50%, uh, which is a pretty substantial lift in a category that's that crowded and competitive. Uh, and they have never been the front-runner in that category. Uh, definitely not a name that people necessarily think of first uh, when rattling off dating apps. Uh, but it's also been banned in several places. So they 
you know, the, specifically the Chicago Transit Authority, so the mass transit, obviously, for Chicago, banned the entire campaign. Uh, in several other cities, I want to say New York, D.C., uh, in uh, maybe one or two others, uh, it, certain ads were banned. They have one that says, down to filter out the far right, uh, which is a picture of someone throwing a handgun down a toilet. Um, and that one's been banned in several places. And I, I was trying to get a straight answer. I, I think, honestly, it has more to do with the gun. I think a lot of places just don't let you put guns in mm. ad images. Um, but also, obviously, it's a divisive message, um, and it, it kind of puts them on a side. So anyway, the, the the thing they talked about is that what's been most rewarding to them is not so much the 50% lift or the big increase in signups on OkCupid. It's been the response they've gotten from uh, young women from the LGBTQ community because several of the ads uh, definitely you know feature – like there's one like Down to Feel Fabulous where it's someone wearing a suit but with painted nails and just these kind of subtle visuals and some less subtle visuals uh, that, that really kind of show uh, this range of relationships. And so I was curious while I had you guys just to see, you know, if you've seen these these ads, uh, especially if you've seen them in real life, but also how you whether you feel that they've kind of accomplished their mission of helping reinterpret this term and helping, you know, young women especially kind of, uh, you know, re-own and subvert the, this term. What do you guys think of this campaign? Um. I, I mean, I like it visually. I think it's very bright, and I think they did a really fun job of finding new ways to show relationships or different types of relationships. There's probably a lot more work to be done both with this campaign and in general about, like, what relationships could look like. Um, but I don't I don't know. I feel like it's not a term that was even being used still or like not very frequently enough for me to note it. So it didn't feel like something to reclaim. It just kind of felt like bringing back something that had kind of fallen out of favor. I don't know. It, it's it's clever. I, I think they like had a, a fun time coming up with like different things that start with F. I think that's cool. Um, but I didn't feel it was like necessarily – needed in terms of like my my peer group. I don't know. Maybe maybe you know uh, people 10, 15 years older than me would feel differently, but it didn't feel super necessary to me to to reclaim this term. Do I think the ads are bright and do I think they, you know, get you thinking about the different kinds of relationships that you could maybe find in online dating? Yes, but I didn't feel it was like an empowering message for me necessarily. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the colors and the imagery is really striking. And obviously, like the, when I first saw these ads, you see the big DTF. And obviously, my mind went to the first place it mm-hmm. would tend to go. <laughs> and so then for me, I was like, oh, that's really clever and cool. Um, it's really captivating. But I feel like people are still going to say DTF and think DTF. Like they're not going to think like down to focus on my chakras. Like, (laughs) I I don't know. I don't see it really um, changing much. And to your point, I don't know that it really needed to Sammy's point. I don't know Mm -hmm. that it really needed to be reclaimed. Like I never felt personally that that was an offensive thing that someone said about me, but I know there are people who, you know, that's been said about them and they take that personally. So I don't know. I don't think it was that necessary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they could have gone, obviously, in a very different way of using multiple acronyms. You know, that's kind of the traditional route would have been, let's pick like 10 internet acronyms that are used to discuss romance or sex, Mm -hmm. and then let's reinterpret all those. But then it would have kind of been forgettable, right? Like they, I give them credit for owning it. I agree with Sammy that it's a term that like, 
it, it you can't really permanently reown it, and they're not necessarily trying to. It's it, it, they're walking this line of kind of um, like building off of a term that that has these negative connotations, but mm-hmm. they're it, but they're not. Yeah, they're not like redefining it literally, and, and I doubt they would say they would. But at the same time, I think they feel glad that they've taken something and and made it you know negative and made it into a positive. The the image that they sent me that's embedded in our article. Is an Instagram someone posted of one of their ads, which is probably the most seen and the, and the best known ad, where a woman is holding another woman in her arms, and she's got four arms, um, which I, I can't remember if, what the <laughs> the metaphor there is or whatever. But she's like, it's a wonderful ad. I mean, it's really gorgeous. I think she's like holding a rose or something, and and it's obviously it's two women, and uh, and there's a photo of, of a couple on the subway recreating the ad next to the ad, which is hmm. is you know it's just kind of adorable like you know not sound dismissive but it was i can see why that meant so much to them as this idea that it it reflected their relationship in a way that they weren't used to seeing in advertising so mm-hmm. in that in that sense it's a it's a win all right um so you can check that one out on adweek.com if you look up okay cupid and see our full interview with the cmo uh the last one i want to talk about uh katie you have a piece in this week's uh, print edition about branded pop-ups and what a trend that's become we talk a lot about stunts and activations, but a pop-up is kind of a, a very specific thing. Like, first, I guess, how do you define pop-up versus, like, any other kind of traditional activation? Well, I think a pop-up, I f- it has to have um, a little bit more of, like, a product that you're promoting or pushing, I think. Like, an activation, I feel like, is more just for an experience, whereas a pop-up is something like... Um, a store like Everlane, an e-commerce store, would create a pop-up to um, showcase its products, you know, for a specific period of time. Or like uh, I've been to a lot of food-related pop-ups where it's a brand that's pushing a new product that they're selling and they want people to taste it uh, before it hits the shelves. So I don't know. I think it, it is kind of a murky line. Like it's hard to define exactly what a pop-up is versus an activation. But um, And a pop-up can be, you know, three days. It can be three weeks. It can be three months. Like it just... It really kind of depends, I guess. And the and the level of branding really seems to vary. In the in the examples you gave, I think Diesel misspelling its own name and creating a fake pop up on Canal Street was certainly one of my favorites. Uh, and you know, definitely kind of walk that line like you were talking about between it's it's a pop up, but it's not like you go there knowing it's a Diesel uh, pop up. And then. Um, and, but tell us about some of the others that, that you included in the story and, and kind of how heavy-handed the branding was or, or not. Yeah, so one of my favorite examples is um, Target's partnership with the Museum of Ice Cream. They did this um, this pop-up called The Pint Shop, and it's still going throughout the summer in New York City. And basically, it's um, the first time they've partnered together. They have a clothing line that is sold in Target and then the um, sorry the Museum of Ice Cream created seven different ice cream flavors that you can buy in Target locations. So it's a really nice partnership that kind of seems to fit really well. But when you go into the actual space, you don't even see the Target brand anywhere. It's very natural. Like they created a Target logo out of um, pint cups and like out of the tops of the pints. So it's just like, it's not the normal colors, it's pink and yellow instead of red and white, and it's um, very subtle, and I think that kind of makes it um, something people enjoy more. Like, right, you don't want to go to something and feel like you're being sold a brand, you want to go for an experience, and 
you want to go to take your Instagram photos and all that kind of stuff. So that's one that I, I think was done really well. Uh, Sammy and Anne-Marie, are there any pop-ups you've been to along these lines that have stuck with you? Hmm. That would require going places. Yeah, you gotta leave, leave your apartment and or ad so, week. no. <laughs> I don't know. I think they're they're interesting, especially if there is like a gift shoppy like commerce element to it to where you can like get what they're actually trying to sell you as opposed to like – uh, I don't know. I feel like sometimes you could feel like a like a Costco like trial, <laughs> like yeah. like sample of something, and then you're on your way, and then you can't do anything about it. So I, I do appreciate kind of the the nature of some of these, but it, it it's still selling you something when they are kind of more branded pop ups. But uh, kind of like Katie said, people are are more about the experiences these days and proving those experiences on Instagram. Um, so I, I think it's pretty smart of them to to get into that space. I haven't been to many recently just because there's so many in the e-commerce space. But um, I know, you know, Casper just did a, is doing a pop-up currently in New York where it's about taking a nap. And people can pay $25 to go take a nap in the middle of New York. And I think it, it goes to what is to Katie's point, you know, that they're not just selling all of Casper, they're selling the idea of sleep and better sleep and how you can achieve that with Casper. And it's really, it's done really well and it's not a new idea. There are plenty of naps stores in New York, surprisingly. <laughs> so this isn't the first. Um, and another, another fun one I went to earlier this year was the Poopery. Oh yeah. From mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Tushy and Poopery, which is like a scent Masking spray product. before you wreck a toilet yeah. type product. Yes. Oh, is it before or after you do it? Before? It's supposed to it's be before. before. Yeah, very uh, important. Okay. I've been doing it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. And, and that was, you know, kind of ridiculous because it was all about, you know, poop and, and you know, using the, the bathroom for number two. But it was done really well. And I think it caught people by surprise because they're like, what is going on here? Why are there so many poop emojis <laughs> as I walk by? And it, it also educated people about, you know, the number two and, and why. We just should. say poop. <laughs> we can say poop here. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You know, <laughs> people get weird about poop. So. That's poop, the point poop, of that pop up, I think, thing. was to like talk more about it, which is cool. Yeah, because the other company, if I remember right, was a bidet company. Mm hmm. Tushy. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, Katie, in your article, you talk about some of the takeaways here. Like, what do you think boils down to the number one piece of advice for brands that are thinking of doing a, a pop up? Uh, one of the most interesting ones actually was um, making sure that your staff that you have working the pop up is like fully trained and understands your brand. Because if you think about it, you're probably hiring people that don't work for your brand and are kind of just there like to get an hourly wage type thing. So like at the Museum of Ice Cream and Target's pop-up, people kept opening the freezers where all the ice cream was because it's like really beautiful um, design on all the packages and they wanted pictures of it and they wanted to take their picture in front of like these big grocery aisle freezer type things. And so they kept opening it and all the ice cream was melting. And people would go to buy their ice cream and they'd be like, what the hell, why is my ice cream melted? Like, I don't want this. And so they kind of had to, like, in the first couple of days, train the staff to be like, okay, if you see someone opening the freezer, like, go over and be like, hey, can I take a photo for you? Like, keep the door closed. And, like, they're all very in character and know all about the brand and they know about the product, but they're still there to, like, 
you know, protect the product, I guess, and like make sure people still have a good time. So I thought that was an interesting takeaway, like make sure that the staff understands the brand and understands what you're trying to get people to do in the pop-up. Yeah, that's a good point because I bet the, the brands are always just happy to find someone. I, you know, I, it's like in my agency life, I did several, uh, you know, pop-up activation type things and everyone who shows up assumes that you have worked for that company forever and that you know everything about it and <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, and that everyone there knows all about it. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a great tip, one that people probably don't really think about, especially if they're planning to do this in multiple cities. They're probably just happy to find anybody uh, who can staff it. Well, definitely check out uh, Katie's look on uh, Adweek uh, on the print edition and on the website about how branded pop-ups are stepping up their game. And now it's time to move on to this week's ad worth watching. All right, this week we have got a new cinema ad, meaning it'll actually play, well, it's both cinematic and it plays in movie theaters. Uh, It is from AT&T. It's part of a campaign they've been doing about getting more of what you want, and it's from BBDO, the agency that does uh, most of their work. This one's called Surprise. It's actually one of two ads came out from the same director, uh, same campaign, but I definitely want to focus on Surprise because it's my favorite. Uh, So this is an ad that starts with a pretty stereotypical scenario from at least from like pre 9-11 rom-coms where (laughs) lovers are reunited at the airport. In this case, actually, uh, a plane is taxiing and then a woman pulls up on top of one of those like stairway like the thing from arrested development that gets the hop-ons you know like the little <laughs> the stair car was that what they call yeah it? yeah they're like it's riding along next to the plane and so the plane stops and she comes in and she picks up the phone from the flight attendant and starts talking to her boyfriend um or love interest on the flight and then things things get weird so uh so let's let's listen to the audio we'll go through most of the ad here because i think you really can catch most of it from the audio Peter? Are you here? Sally. Peter. I'm sorry. I said things I wish I could take back. And you're right, I am impatient. You know why I'm impatient? Because I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you, Peter. If you are sick of waiting for me. Come here. security without a ticket um they just let me through how'd you get onto the runway i just did you okay And so, as you can tell, uh, the the rom-com takes a dark turn. And I love because when I was first watching it, I'm like, oh, whatever. How would she get on the tarmac? How would she get, you know, it's like every every time movies try to pull this stuff now, you're just like, yeah, right. You're, you can't do any of that stuff. Um, and I think it's even like in Love Actually, isn't that one of like the main climactic scene is like the kid just busting past security. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, whatever, that kid would get tackled to the ground. <laughs> um 
There's some nice little touches that you can't catch in the audio, like the fact that the airline is called Chrysalis Airlines, which, you know, it's like a term for something that's about to turn into something else, uh, like a bug about to turn into a you know butterfly or a moth or whatever. And so, yeah, she becomes a a zombie essentially at the end which doesn't really explain how she got past security (laughs) (laughs) and I kind of like the fact that it's a bit of a non sequitur of just like how did you get past security oh you know and then she starts trying to eat him (laughs) she probably ate everyone on her way there Maybe. We don't see that part. Yeah. Threatened to eat the driver of the stair car if he didn't uh, get her over there in time. Uh, but the the point of this is, uh, the tagline is, is something along the lines of, from rom-com to horror, get movies and more with AT&T Unlimited plans. Uh, the other ad in this series, Bus, uh, starts off as a suspense with a bus crashing and almost falling off a cliff. And then everyone starts singing and it becomes a musical. Uh, that one's visually good, but... You know, it's just not quite as great as a rom-com turning into a zombie (laughs) horror. But uh, so this is, I love the fact these are going to run in theaters, that people are really going to be, have no idea what they're in for when when these ads start. Uh, To me, that's the best part because it really goes in a a crazy direction. What do you guys think of this one? It reminded me of, well, this is a terrible way to start because I can't remember the name of the TV show. But there used to be this, like, reality competition show on Fox. I think it was called, like, On the Lot or something. And they would give, like, up-and-coming directors these, like, assignments. And, like, they'd have to, like, make something out of the assignments by the end of each episode. And then, like, judges and whatever. And it felt like one of those because it was, like, you have two things to accomplish in this. Make it work. (laughs) It felt very much, like, trying to find that happy medium, that mashup between two genres. And it's like, uh, it's so entertaining and how funny it is when you're like, hmm, I did think it was one thing until right now. And now it's not. And it's, it's I don't know, it, I think it pays off um, super well. It's pretty entertaining. Um, I have been flying a lot recently and I would be livid if that happened on my plane. <laughs> Please let us leave. Why are you stopping the plane? Um, so besides that and that like little, you know, um, suspension of, of reality that you have to give yourself, I thought it was really funny and really well made. Yeah, I think it's one of the like few recent examples of when I feel like a lot of times you'll see brands like try and do that rug pull where they just like try and totally throw you off and you're like, I totally saw that coming. Like, I feel like this is one of the few recent examples where I was like, I did not see that coming. <laughs> What's going on? Especially because in the middle, it does feel like a car commercial because you're like yeah. <laughs> seeing it around the bend. And it's like very picturesque mm-hmm. and like they're in a forest. I'm like, oh, this is going to be so nice. They're going to like end up at some romantic location mm-hmm. or like maybe it's for a travel company. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and so it was not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was confusing when it turned into a car commercial. <laughs> I was like, oh, what is happening? This is a really odd way to sell a car. <laughs> the the worst is when I've watched ads where it feels like they're making a turn like that, but then they don't, and you realize it's just a bad ad. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, yeah, it's just like the, I've seen these uh, where it goes on for two minutes, and 
it just there's no there's no twist. You're just like, oh, oh, I'm just watching too long of an ad. Uh, <laughs> this one, you know, just when you start to wonder where it's going. And I love the little visuals and the audio that you may have caught when you heard the, that segment just now is like it gets darker while they're driving. And then mm-hmm. I love how the music like it's like a music box winding down. You know, it's like do, do, do. <laughs> like, and just nice little touches. I should point out that this is from a director who is really uh, becoming a bit of a superstar in the advertising industry, Daniel Wolf. Uh, he did a few that ad nerds um, like Katie might appreciate, like uh, Hennessy's The Picards, uh, about the, the father and son who went to the bottom of the ocean and then to the stratosphere in a balloon. Really gorgeous ad from Droga 5. Uh, he also did one that got a lot of play recently, uh, Live Fearless, uh, which was the kind of anthem spot for Blood Normal, the body form and labrest campaign about uh, about periods and, and being more candid and open. That one won uh, the Glass Grand Prix at Cannes and was a huge talker and probably one of the most beloved campaigns. We talked about it here on the podcast recently. Uh, but uh, yeah, Dana Wolf, he is one to watch. Uh, definitely a fantastic director. Uh, and all right, we are going to uh, take a little break, and we're going to move on to our big discussion of the week, which is Adweek's Power List for 2018. We're going to talk about who are the most powerful executives in marketing, media, technology. We'll be right back with that. All right, guys, time to talk power. Power. Let's. Uh, <laughs> I tried to get, and my head was like ready to do a deep voice, and then I was like, I don't think I can hit that today. I don't have that in me. <laughs> Part of me really wants to hear that, (laughs) the Sammy gravel. Um, Well, let's – okay, so let me lay some context. The power list is a list of 100 folks that uh, we put out every year and add. We've been doing it for quite a number of years. It is the most – you know, it is subjective. I will say that. This is not based on their – you know their company's income, although we do list kind of the size of the corporation. It's it's a – I'm not going to say arbitrary. It's it's certainly there's a lot of thought put into the list, uh, but it is a mix of factors. I'll say that of of what we consider, what our editors and writers consider power. Uh, Jeff Bezos uh, from Amazon is at the top again. Um, I'd say. Well, I guess let's stop there and just say, Anne Marie, do you think that's uh, is that a, a safe number one? Do you think Jeff Bezos is the most powerful person in these sectors? He's definitely, I think, the richest. I think. <laughs> <laughs> based on uh, Prime Day sales. But yeah, I think he commands fear in all of these companies as well that we're talking about. Like each of these companies are trying to get in on shopping and e-commerce and Jeff has already beat them there. And he's getting into healthcare and a bunch of other sectors. Yeah, not to mention owning the Washington Post, uh, which obviously has uh, put him into kind of a different space and put him in the crosshairs of Donald Trump. Uh, you know, he's he's kind of a bit everywhere. And I, I do feel like uh, I'll stop sort of any sort of prediction, but I feel like Bezos is on the cusp of losing some of this, though. I, I think the impact that we're going to see from China uh, in the coming year uh, and in other players coming into the space and expanding the space. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think this will come up a bit more in our discussion, but I, I, I do think this list, it feels very similar to last year, but I think next year's will not. Uh, is my bold prediction. Uh, I love wh- I love what you said, though, that, like, he's the guy everyone's most afraid of. Like, that should be our power list. <laughs> it should be a ranking of, like, who people are <laughs> fearing the most. Because, like, maybe that's who does have the most power. I don't know. 
fascinating. Well, we should run that photo of him with like the glasses where he's like super, <laughs> super muscular. He looks like the a vest. train. Leah like looks like a trained assassin. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, because he started out as like such a nerd, which, you know, all these guys did. Like they all looked frumpy and dumpy. And then, you know, Elon Musk gets hair plugs and Jeff Bezos just gets cut, you know. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about one notable drop off, probably the most notable drop off. Normally, we barely even notice because, you know, it's like usually number 98 drops off or whatever. Martin Sorrell, the uh, the founder and uh, chairman of WPP, he's gone. Uh, he obviously was unceremoniously ejected uh, from his company this year, the largest holding company in advertising. So that was a pretty tremendous uh, drop off the list. Uh, his Pretty much all of his competitors are still there. John Wren from Omnicom, I think is the highest ranked at 16. Uh, IPG's My- Michael Roth is 44. We've got uh, Artur Sadoon from Publicis. Uh, Publicis is in there. And, uh, and, and you know, they're all, they, Havas, they're all in there. But uh, kind of interesting to see WPP, the most powerful company in advertising, just like drop right off with uh, Martin Sorrell's departure, which happened kind of shortly before we began uh, really finalizing this list. So, that was interesting. I'm going to throw it to you guys, though. Not necessarily based on, I mean, I assume the person is probably on this list, but who would you guys say if someone asked you who's the most powerful person in the industries that you cover that you think about, who would you put on there? I mean, my mind, because I'm, you know, less of a reporter at this point and kind of just staring at Twitter for a lot of my day. So, like, my first answer is, like, drill. <laughs> like, he used to be uh, pretty powerful on Twitter. That's not like a super real answer, however. I don't know. Like, it's it's fascinating what people um, consider to be power. Like, I guess I'm looking at this from a very psychological standpoint, and I'm reading a book about nature. Anyways, it recently, <laughs> it makes sense in my head. There was recently a chapter that I read that was about awe, and how uh, inspiring awe can lead to, like, more helpful people. Like, after a natural disaster, when you, like, see the effects of it, people help out and donate and volunteer more than people who weren't affected by it. Anyways, uh, awe is also tied to fear. And so it's it's interesting to me kind of what we consider to be uh, power or is it, you know, the most inspiring people? I don't know why I'm taking this so philosophically, but that's where I'm at today. So that's, that's what we're dealing with. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys yeah. think? I don't know. I, I think obviously, you know, we do this list and we look at revenue and all that good stuff, but I also think it's interesting to think about powerful people in terms of those that can like shape culture, like shape the industries mm-hmm. that they're in. Like, like a company like Glossier comes to mind and just because the way that they were able to like transform the beauty industry and like how people buy beauty products and how they think about them. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty powerful and like. It changed. Know. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know how much money they're making, but it's still, you know, changed how, at least even how I think about like buying and wearing makeup, mm-hmm. I guess. I was like touching my my Glossier lip balm yesterday and got a marketing email from them. I was like, oh, hell, the singularity (laughs) has happened. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's more like people or companies who are changing the way we even consider those people and companies. Yeah. 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 I don't know. That's how I think about it sometimes. Anne-Marie, in the in the tech world, who would you say are are maybe either the most powerful or the ones whose power maybe is underappreciated? Yeah, I'd agree with Katie on, you know, 
that there are plenty of people, especially in e-commerce, who are dominating and changing the way we even think about purchasing uh, items online that should definitely be included. And I think a, another person or company even sh- that should be on this list is Instagram as just on a, a standalone aspect. They've completely almost usurped Snapchat at this point. Uh, teens I talk to are just like, yeah, who's even on that? Like you're only on there for a little bit. That's so funny that Snapchat is like not popular anymore. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this time. Um, I know I know Kevin's on the list, but I think he should be much higher just because like Instagram stories and the way yeah. we're even using questions now and brands are getting in on that. It's such a it's gonna become such a big, big, big platform that either we're underestimating or that, you know, people haven't realized like they really need to start paying attention and it's just not just like pretty photos and influencers. Yeah, it's, it's really the only place, Instagram's the only place where you're seeing actual, I mean, innovation kind of maybe gives them a little too much credit because they do have a habit of kind of taking from other places. Obviously, they took stories from Snapchat. Um, but, you know, I, I do think it's the only social network where you're seeing innovation that users actually enjoy and appreciate. Uh, versus like every time Twitter rolls out something, everyone's just like, that's nice, ban the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> Like, can we circle back to what we emailed you about earlier? Twitter, it's the Nazis. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah, and it's like because Twitter's is always like, hey, we turn that square into a circle. You know what I mean? That's literally mm-hmm. it's. It's always like we we made these like. I mean, not to diminish everything they do, but it's it's usually cosmetic. And whereas Instagram's like, here's an entirely new way to engage people. And that questions thing, you know, at first everyone was just like, ask me a question. But I've liked seeing how it quickly evolved into like, what's your favorite? weekday night dinner, you know, or, or like, mm-hmm. Hey, I, what, you know, the people are using it as more of as an extension of polls of like, Hey, what, how should I get my nails done? Or what should I, what movie should I watch tonight? Yeah. Like, um, that's been really interesting. And that to me has really stepped up the engagement of stories. Cause you know, it's like one of those things like you guys obviously probably get way more engagement on your, on your stories, uh, on Instagram, but like I get, you know, maybe a hundred people see each thing I post on there, but you get maybe one message. Right. And so it's just like all these people watched it and then maybe you get someone being like, cool. Uh, and so this has been like a nice way to actually structure the conversation in a way. Uh, I think that anyway, not to get on a tangent of uh, <laughs> Instagram, but that's a really good point. Uh, let's talk about a few of the new names that are on there. Uh, we've got the CEO of Mondelez, Dirk Vandepoot, uh, I believe is how it's pronounced. He's at number 29. We've got uh, Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce is on there now, coming in pretty high up at number 35. The CEO of Ikea, uh, Jesper Broden, uh, is at 43. Dave Luer, president of our global Agency of the Year, Widening Kennedy, is now on the list at 57. Uh, we've got Maggie Timoni, uh, who is the CEO of Heineken USA. She's on there. And, and then, like, weirdly kind of similar, we added Vince McMahon from the WWE and Dana White <laughs> from the UFC, like, who uh, I, w- I would say are somewhat peas in a pod, but have had a very different uh, impact in their respective sports, I'd say. Um, and then the one that I really do think will be the most impactful is the CEO of Tencent, uh, which is Ma Hua Ting. Uh, he came in at number 84. I have a feeling Tencent is a company that – are you guys familiar with it? I mean, Anne-Marie probably maybe is. I don't know. Are you guys familiar with Tencent? No. Yeah, the, the silence. <laughs> so it's it's uh-uh. a, it's one of those companies that kind of – like they're gigantic. I mean, they're one of the ten largest companies in the world. I think in terms of of you know the oh, like ten largest investing companies. But they're they're kind of a 
in- investment company that bought up a bunch of mobile gaming stuff, and they then g- they got into messaging, and so they dominate messaging mm. in China. Uh, it's just these man when they come in, they really take over uh, a segment, and they are this juggernaut uh, that is just kind of outside of the Western awareness, uh, like. You know, you hear it come up with gaming, uh, but that that's about it. Um, they bought the Chinese rights to PUBG, which was, you know, a big video gaming phenomenon. But anyway, they're one of those where when they decide to get serious about moving hard into America, I think it's going to have a gigantic impact. And I think we'll see several other Chinese companies in that respect uh, as well. I want to call out some of the top women. This is always, unfortunately, a a, rather dude-heavy list, a white dude-heavy list. Uh, It's probably better than the Fortune 500 in terms of that kind of representation. But still, it's always nice to see uh, when we can uh, highlight the women in power in some of these brands. Uh, Traditionally, Pepsi's CEO, Andrew Nui, is uh, number nine this year. She's always up there. She's always considered one of the most powerful uh, women in branding. The CEO of General Motors, Mary Barra, uh, is at number 12, and IBM's CEO, Jenny Rometty, is at 21. Uh, I'm curious. Let's talk about Elon Musk. <laughs> because I, I feel like Where every... Where do we start? Must we, <laughs> yeah, must, must we? Uh, well, it's just like every year, I feel like he's a bit underrepresented on this just based on his ability to generate uh, public discussion, you know, to to accomplish things that a lot of other companies would take 20 years to accomplish. But man, has he milkshake ducked in like the last <laughs> like month. Uh, obviously, he tried to build a submarine for to help rescue the Thai kids uh, and then it didn't work out and he got in some arguments called a random you know called one of the rescuers a pedophile on Twitter and had to delete that dude has just kind of had a bit of a come apart uh, and really is it's there were always critics uh, who did not like many of the things he's done and said and I think those are all valid but man I, I just feel like he really took a bit of a real you know of a, a, a and I'm not gonna name this person but someone who uh, we all know of as a very iconic uh, leader of kind of the discussion of empowering women in marketing. Uh, I noticed the other day that she had tweeted about her love for Elon Musk and how she wishes she could be Elon Musk. <laughs> and this was like two weeks before all the ties happened. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that did not age well. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. What do, you, what do you guys think? What's your take on Elon Musk at this point? Why do we, anybody care about him? Uh, that's how I feel. Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, he's that exploded t- out of me. No, I, mean, he, they, I feel like they don't, like they don't he's, manufacture the Teslas they're selling. I feel like he's just like a tech bro that people have ended up worshiping for no great reason, which is like a lot of dudes in power. I just got very angry <laughs> about this. I love so I'm this. Dialing it back. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, why people hang on his every word and why he makes so many headlines. I don't get it, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, I. I mean, I guess where I disagree is just that, like SpaceX is accomplishing something that's pretty much unprecedented uh, beyond government. You know, the ability to make repeatable spaceflight possible and to do it. You know, with pretty consistent, like you saw Virgin try this, right, with Virgin Galactic and and fatally crash and create like this huge PR nightmare. Uh, SpaceX has, you know, been able to get rockets up and get them back and land and prove that this, you know, that space flight, commercial space flight even is viable. Like, I think those aren't, I am certainly not defending Elon Musk, like as a human being. <laughs> but, I'm sorry if I've made this not a safe space for you to talk about. <laughs> I've made this a hostile podcast environment and I do no, apologize. No, but you're getting it. You're getting at the exact point that I of why I bring this up is that it's like I do think these 
you know, that he's accomplishing things, but man, he has quickly become someone that is just like, yeah, at what cost? (laughs) So I'm sorry, Katie, I think I cut you off when you were about to say something. Oh, it was Anne Marie. She had something. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know if uh, the Adweek podcast listeners know, but I was actually based out in San Francisco for five years, and the love for Elon is extremely, extremely strong. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I in in a lot of people's eyes there, he really can't do wrong because it's, it's a means to an end, you know. Yeah, he's not perfect, what person is, and that's kind of their validation of why he acts the way he does, which mm-hmm. I know sounds ridiculous, but that's when you move fast and break things, as they say in Silicon Valley, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter who they are as a person. It matters more of what they're innovating, what they're doing, what they're able and capable to do with their minds. Like you mentioned, like SpaceX, like people dream of talking to Elon Musk and it's kind of insane. And, and you'll see they were defending him about the comments he made and were like, what were you doing to help the Thai kids? And it's like, how is that the response? But it's the kind of uh, influence he wields, for sure. My, my favorite uh, point in the uh, Thai kid rescue was when someone made a fake GoFundMe screenshot that was Elon Musk had made a GoFundMe that was called, uh, <laughs> let's put the kids back at the cave so I can yeah. rescue them. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Um, and, and, and Chrissy Teigen tweeted, was like, is this real? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's one where it's, it's certainly he is, to Sammy's point, like, whether deservedly so or not, uh, he is a face. He is a name that, like, anything he says will get news. Zuckerberg's a bit the same, but it's seen as being synonymous with Facebook, right? Like, Zuckerberg says something, that's Facebook saying something. Elon Musk says shit like... You don't know if that's the official line of SpaceX and Tesla. You can kind of see their board members being like, uh, actually, we don't. We don't want to call people pedophiles. Uh, well, I'm sure they also scratched their head at Zuckerberg's comments this week about the Holocaust denialist on Facebook. So, you know, we're all veering into this point. Yeah, where, where he basically just said, hey, you know, people believe different things, right? Some people think that the Holocaust didn't happen, and that's okay. I was, and everyone, the, the world collectively is like, what? No. It's like when you get just like a little too PC training and then you're on the whole other side of being a little too sensitive to other people's opinions. It comes back at you real fast. Well, this discussion of power has certainly gone in some interesting directions, but I certainly encourage everyone check out the uh, Adweek Power List on adweek.com and in this week's print edition right on the cover. Uh, lots of submission. Big thanks to Dave Jonatasio, our writer who uh, really worked, spent a ton of time on this. So big thanks to Dave on all the work he put into that. And uh, Anne-Marie, thanks so much to you and Katie both for joining us on the show this week. Of course. Happy to come back another time. <laughs> All right. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, this episode was produced by Anya Fernando and edited by Lane McGibney. Thank you, Anya. Thank you, Lane. Please take a moment, if you haven't already, to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they also help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Greiner with Adweek, and we will be back next week. This episode was brought to you by Accenture Interactive. Accenture Interactive is hyper-focused on offering new connected experiences that flex to accommodate individual needs. See how we're creating greater experiences now at AccentureInteractive.com.